0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the September 5th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Scarron Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal provided guidance on an important provision of the Labor Code when it declined to restrain what they said was a rude and aggressive workplace customer under the provisions of the California Workplace Violence Restraining Order Law. The customer in this case was Matthew Rafat, who was a technology credit union customer. He had an interaction with a credit union employee and had made a video recording of the interaction, which he posted on his YouTube channel. The credit union employee believed that Rafat will come back and seek her out at the branch due to his aggression and later efforts to cause her harm by posting videos of the incident on the internet. California's Code of Civil Procedure allows an employer to obtain a workplace violence restraining order on behalf of an employee who has been subjected to a credible threat of violence in the workplace. Using this law, the credit union filed a petition for restraining Rafat and protecting the employee and claimed that Rafat had made a credible threat of violence against her. In support, the employee filed a declaration that Rafat became visibly angry and became aggressive towards her while she was assisting him and made a video recording of her without her consent, made several rude and inappropriate statements questioning her mental competency, repeatedly refused her request to stop video recording her, and assaulted her when he forced a pen and paper back toward her and demanded that she write down his number. Based on this declaration, the trial court issued a temporary stay-away order barring Rafat from contacting or harassing the employee, and then set an evidentiary hearing. Rafat filed a response to the petition and denied that he had made a credible threat of violence. At subsequent hearings, the video was received into evidence, and several witnesses provided details of the encounters with Rafat. At the close of these hearings, the court issued a per- personal contract, a personal conduct order, and a stay away order to remain in effect until December thirty first. 2022. Mr. Rafat timely filed a Notice of Appeal from the Order, and the Court of Appeal reversed in the published case of Technology Credit Union v. Rafat. The of Procedure defines a credible threat of violence as a knowing and willful statement or course of conduct that would place a reasonable person in fear for his or her safety or the safety of his or her immediate family, and that serves no legitimate purpose. And the Court of Appeals said that after a careful review of the record, there was insufficient evidence that could support such a finding of a credible threat of violence. However, it agreed that Rafat's conduct on that day was indisputably rude, impatient, aggressive, and derogatory and that he had a history of using aggressive language, including making offensive remarks. However, there was not sufficient evidence linking any of his statements or conduct to any implied threat of violence. The only threats he made were of litigation and complaints to federal agencies. And the Court of Appeal also ruled that an employer cannot discover an employee's immigration status in the wrongful termination case filed against the employer. In this case, Rigoberto Manuel was employed by Brightview Landscape Services as an irrigation technician when he injured his back on the job in January 2018. He claims that Brightview initially refused to take him to the company medical clinic, but after several days of back pain, he went to an occupational medical clinic accompanied by another Brightview employee. That physician examined him and determined that he had sustained a back injury and returned him to work with restrictions. After Mr. Manuel returned to work and completed a full shift, his supervisor told him not to return to work, and Brightview terminated his employment. So, Mr. Manuel filed a civil lawsuit against his employer for wrongful termination. Manuel's attorneys objected to Brightview's written discovery requests inquiring into his immigration status. So, Brightview brought a motion for an order compelling him to provide further responses which the trial court granted. So Manuel challenged the order by filing a petition for writ of mandate in the Court of Appeal. In the published case of Manuel versus Superior Court, the Court of Appeal directed the trial court to vacate its order and to enter a new order denying Brightview's motion for an order, compelling Manuel to provide further responses to written discovery inquiring into his immigration status. Brightview argued that its written discovery request properly sought evidence from Manuel establishing he was legally authorized, whether he was legally authorized to work in the United States. However, in two thousand two, California Senate Bill eighteen eighteen added four nearly identical provisions to California's statutory scheme. In response to the United States Supreme Court's decision earlier the same year in Hoffman Plastic Compounds Incorporated versus the NLRB. In Hoffman, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that the NLRB could not award back pay to an illegal alien for years of work not performed, for wages that could not lawfully have been earned, and for a job obtained in the first instance by criminal fraud. Mr. Manuel relied on these four statutory provisions of California law which he argued prohibited inquiry into a person's immigration status unless the person seeking to make the inquiry has shown by clear and convincing evidence that the inquiry is necessary to comply with federal immigration law. In this case, the Court of Appeal agreed with Mr. Manuel and concluded that under Senate Bill 1818 and its statutory enactments, the trial court acted outside the scope of the court's discretion when the court granted Brightview's motion to compel further responses to written discovery, inquiring into his immigration status. A well-publicized fraud lawsuit brought by the district attorneys of San Francisco and Los Angeles counties accusing California law firm Potter Handy of shaking down small businesses with phony disability rights complaints met its end this week with the San Francisco judges' dismissal of their case. Then San Francisco District Attorney Chessa Bodine and his Los Angeles County counterpart, George Gascone, filed the high-profile case seeking the return of millions of dollars the business owners paid to settle thousands of what they say were groundless disability rights lawsuits. The pair of district attorneys claimed that lawyers for the San Diego-based firm filed thousands of boilerplate Americans with Disabilities Act lawsuits, on behalf of a handful of disabled clients against small businesses, only to pressure the owners to quickly settle for an amount between ten and $20,000. In a brief ruling, the San Francisco Superior Court judge found that, this case barred by rules governing litigation privilege that protect the filing and communications connected with the law firm Potter Handys ADA lawsuits for being used against them. The judge did not give the district attorneys an opportunity to amend their case, but did say they can still bring criminal charges against Potter Handy, and that its lawyers could be disciplined by the state bar for ethics violations, that is, if the complaint's allegations were true. A spokesperson for the San Francisco District Attorney said they are considering all options before making any decisions. The defendant law firm described the original civil suit as a publicity stunt meant to drum up support for DAs Bodine and Gascon, who are both facing recall elections at the time. Congress was facing business community pressure back in 1925 when it passed the Federal Arbitration Act, also known as the FAA. The FAA says that an agreement to resolve disputes by way of arbitration shall be valid, irrevocable, and enforceable. The United States Supreme Court has interpreted the FAA expansively and has applied the FAA to employment contracts, upheld waivers of the right to class actions, and sanctioned arbitration of civil rights disputes. But some state courts responded to the Supreme Court's interpretations with outright hostility and by undermining the FAA. However, the Supreme Court of the United States has broadly rejected those attempts at workarounds. In a recent battle here in our state in 2019, the California legislature passed AB 51, which added a section of the labor code which prohibits California employers from requiring employees to sign an arbitration agreement regarding FIHA claims as a condition of employment. Shortly after its passage, the California or the Chamber of Commerce of the United States of America The California Chamber of Commerce and other business groups filed a federal lawsuit arguing that AB 51 was preempted by the FAA. The federal court judge granted a temporary restraining order against AB 51 three days before it was to take effect. Then in February 2020, the same court issued a preliminary injunction finding AB 51 was preempted by the FAA. In doing so, the federal court noted the California legislature's history of circumventing the Supreme Court's interpretation of the FAA, and that the governor has twice vetoed similar bills as preempted, with a third rejected by a California appellate court. But the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals reversed the case in part as it held that AB 51 was not, in this case, in conflict with, and therefore not preempted by the FAA. In response to this reversal, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce filed a petition for rehearing on banc, which the Ninth Circuit deferred pending the U.S. Supreme Court's decision in Viking River Cruises versus Mariana, another case involving the California FAA interpretation then on june 15 this year scotus decided viking river cruises when it held in an eight to one ruling that the federal arbitration act allows employers to enforce arbitration agreements as to individual claims asserted under the california private attorneys general act now moving forward to this august 22nd the ninth circuit withdrew its prior opinion in the AB 51 case and granted a panel of rehearing in the U.S. Chamber of Commerce versus Bonta case. No date has yet been set for this rehearing. And at least some California employment law attorneys are speculating that in the Chamber of Commerce case, the Ninth Circuit three-judge panel might conclude that the FAA indeed preempts AB 51 in its entirety. The Court of Appeal ruled that the Los Angeles Police Department officers hired by a filmmaker for traffic control were independent contractors and not employees. In this case, Scars of the Mind Picture Company, LLC, was a motion picture production company specializing in low-budget independent films. It was engaged in filming a theatrical motion picture titled Acts of Desperation in the spring of 2018. Filming took place at various locations centered in Hollywood. When the filmmaker applied for a permit to film in Elysian Park, it learned that the city required the presence of at least two active or retired LAP officers for traffic control during filming. Each of the LAPD officers that hired completed W-9 forms as individual sole proprietors, and each demanded and received an additional 15% of their daily compensation as reimbursement for self-employment taxes along with the $75 kit box rental fee. They were paid directly by the filmmaker, but each check was returned unpaid because of insufficient funds. Once she was informed of the bounced checks, a producer of the film wrote checks from her personal account to each officer, including the bank charges incurred by each of them. And all three testified that they felt they had received what was owed from scars of the mind. Nonetheless, the three officers filed a lawsuit to recover various remedies under the labor code for wage hour violations. The trial court entered judgment in favor of the film company following a two-day bench trial, finding that the officers were independent contractors rather than employees of the film company, and the statutes were therefore inapplicable to independent contractors. The Court of Appeal affirmed the trial court in the unpublished case of Estrada versus Scars of the Mind Picture Company. At the trial, both sides agreed that the ABC test adopted in Dynamex and subsequently codified in the labor code would be the legal standard for the case. The court went on to review the evidence in great detail for each of the three criteria of the ABC test and concluded the evidence was sufficient to support the trial court's finding in favor of the filmmaker that the officers were independent contractors. And now our crime report. A neurosurgeon pleaded guilty to a federal criminal charge for accepting about $3.3 million in bribes for performing spinal surgeries at the now-defunct Long Beach Hospital, whose owner later was imprisoned for committing a massive workers' compensation system fraud. The doctor, 55-year-old Lokesh Tatyuwaya, a neurosurgeon who lives in San Diego, pleaded guilty to one count of conspiracy to commit honest services fraud and to violating the federal anti-kickback statute. He has been in federal custody since May of 2021. He was initially free on bail after he was ordered to hand over his passport, a million dollars in cash, And his personal jet but later the court ruled he was a flight risk so it confined him to the Santa Ana jail after federal agents learned he purchased his own private plane and had discussed fitting it with extended fuel tanks just in case he needed to go far away now according to his plea agreement and statements at his change of plea hearing Uwea accepted money from Michael Drobot, who owned Pacific Hospital in Long Beach in exchange for performing spinal surgeries at that hospital. The bribe amount varied depending upon the type of spinal surgery, but in total he received about $3.3 million in kickbacks. Pacific Hospital specialized in surgeries, especially spinal and orthopedic surger- procedures. Robot conspired with doctors, chiropractors, and marketers to pay kickbacks and bribes in return for the referral of thousands of mostly workers' comp patients to the Pacific Hospital for spinal surgeries. During its final five years, the scheme resulted in the submission of more than $500 million in medical bills for spine surgeries involving kickbacks. Wea was also named as a defendant in a civil federal lawsuit filed by the State Compensation Insurance Fund for his scheme at the Pacific Hospital of Long Beach. His sentencing hearing is now scheduled for December 9, at which time he will face a statutory maximum sentence of five years in prison. And in a related case, a South Bay chiropractor was also sentenced to 14 months in federal prison, also for taking kickbacks from the Pacific Hospital. This was 68-year-old Brian Carrico, who lives in Redondo Beach. He was sent to prison and also ordered to pay a fine of $25,000. Carico pleaded guilty to one count of soliciting kickbacks, The same day as two Redondo Beach-based companies, Performance Medical and Rehab Center Incorporated and One Accord Management Incorporated, each pleaded guilty. Each of those companies was fined $250,000. And his criminal partner, 68-year-old William Parker, who also lives in Redondo Beach, owned Union Choice Therapy Network, which had a contract with Pacific Hospital. Last month, Parker was sentenced to one year and one day in federal prison and was fined $5,500 after he pleaded guilty to one count of soliciting kickbacks. Carrico and Parker participated in a kickback scheme in which Pacific Hospital overpaid for the value of services performed under its Union Choice contract to induce Carrico and Parker to refer patients to Pacific Hospital for surgeries and other treatment. Corico and Parker offered a quid pro quo, in which the referral of patients to the hospital was contingent on that hospital entering into a management services agreement with Union Choice. Under the proposed agreement, the hospital would have paid Union Choice a total of $110,000 over the span of four months, more than the market value of the services performed. A company called Philips RS North America LLC, which was formerly known as Respironics Incorporated, is an international manufacturer of durable medical equipment. This company has agreed to pay over $24 million to resolve allegations that it illegally paid kickbacks to its DME suppliers. The Respionics kickbacks encouraged the DME suppliers to submit claims for ventilators, oxygen concentrators, CPAP and BiPAP machines, and other respiratory-related medical equipment. The federal anti-kickback statute prohibits the payment of any remuneration or to induce the referral of services or items that are paid for by a federal health care program. Respironics will pay $22.62 million to the United States and $2.13 million to several states pursuant to the terms of a separate settlement agreement with those states. The settlement resolves a lawsuit originally brought by a Respironics employee under the Key Tom, or Whistleblower, provisions of the Federal False Claims Act. As part of this resolution, the whistleblower will receive about $4.3 million out of the settlement account. And Phillips has had other problems with government DME sales during the pandemic. In April 2020, the United States Department of Health and Human Services, that's HHS, entered into a contract with Philips Respironics for 43,000 hospital ventilators during the peak of the pandemic. Later, the United States House of Representatives undertook a congressional investigation into the acquisition of the Philips ventilators, which found evidence of fraud, waste, and abuse. And an overpayment to Phillips by the U.S. government of hundreds of millions of dollars. And in other industry news, the workforce is transforming with millions leaving their jobs and what is called the Great Resignation. And according to a report by HealthSystems.com, this has created a cascade of ripple effects, some of which bear Considerations for the workers' comp industry. The term great resignation was coined by a professor of management at the University College London's School of Management in May 2021 when he predicted a sustained mass exodus from the workforce. It is now an ongoing economic trend in which employees have voluntarily resigned from their jobs en masse beginning in early 2021. Possible causes include wage stagnation amid rising costs of living, long-lasting job dissatisfaction, safety concerns of the COVID-19 pandemic, and the desire to work for companies with better remote working policies. And according to a Price Waterhouse Cooper survey conducted in early August 2021, 65% of employees said they were looking for a new job, and 88% of executives said their company was experiencing higher turnover than normal. A Deloitte study published in Fortune magazine in October 2021 found that among Fortune 1,000 companies, 73% of CEOs anticipated the work shortage would disrupt their business over the next 12 months. 57% believed attracting talent is among their company's biggest challenges. And 35% already expanded benefits to bolster employee retention. Even before the pandemic, the workers' comp industry faced an impending talent shortage. And now that problem has grown worse. Two of the hardest hit roles happen to be in two of the most critical roles at claims organizations claims adjusters, and IT specialists. Based on results from the Health System's 2022 Workers' Compensation Industry Insights Report, workers' comp professionals now view the changing workforce and workplace as the number one factor impacting resiliency in the workers' compensation profession, with 71% of work comp professionals ranking the changing workforce as their top industry concern. According to the report, many adjusters are reaching retirement age and there's a shortage of new talent entering the industry. The higher level of stress associated with the role, outdated claims technology, and a lack of overall industry appeal to young professionals are all contributors. While there are some universal solutions the workplace can offer to attract and maintain employees such as competitive compensation and benefits there are industry specific matters that workers comp must address creating a clear career path and a picture of the unique expertise that can be gained from the workers comp industry expertise that can be leveraged later in either a different industry or in a higher position could be beneficial for attracting new talent to an industry that is not necessarily an obvious or sought-after career option for college graduates. And younger workers have high expectations for the user experience of technology. And workers' comp has to historically lag behind the consumer experience. Technology should be intuitive, easy to use, and should empower day-to-day decisions to reduce burden and the perceived complexity that comes with the insurance industry. There's a larger lack of IT talent that is holding back overall technology growth across all industries, and workers' comp is no exception. The current shortage of IT talent is the main factor holding back IT automation and half of digital workplace technologies that are now in the works. With more and more companies offering remote work for technology positions, competition is fierce for these talented individuals. Claims organizations can prioritize cloud and security technologies to allow for remote work when possible to entice IT workers. Claims organizations can also leverage partners and programs that already have the technological infrastructure in place to help them achieve connectivity goals within their workers' comp medical management programs. A new ninth Annual Workers' Compensation Benchmarking Study noted that as modern workplaces continue to evolve in light of the COVID-19 pandemic, so too must workers' compensation claims organizations in order to achieve optimal outcomes. Yet standing in the way, the report says are deeply entrenched challenges that more than 3,300 claims leaders and frontline professionals has brought to the forefront in previous workers' comp benchmarking study research. Eight years of data shows that to succeed in the face of core claims challenges, organizations need to transform legacy processes, mindsets, semantics, and ingrained cultural practices data shows that these claims organizations with superior outcomes are also those who are further along in this transformation process with this in mind research from the ninth annual report brought together claims leaders from diverse organizations to dig deeper into exactly how they are evolving to outpace their peers As in prior years, the new 2021 report is available to all industry stakeholders without cost or obligation on the risinggms.com website. So that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts. And special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish our daily news, podcast, and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd Scarin, and Langavit. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.